Hello, friends. Uh, this is Jason from Film Ruminations, the podcast, here with another episode in our series uh, taking a look at the American genre film archive releases. This episode, I am very grateful to be able to talk about uh, their fifth release, The Sword and the Claw. Who's Lion Man? Lion Man's the son of Solomon. He was raised by lions. Organize ourselves to fight a war of revenge. Before sunrise tomorrow, make me two steel claws. Set them on the ends of these arms. Two steel claws, bigger and sharper than a lion's. They took his money, they took his family, and now they've taken his hands. But they can never take his revenge. Exploding from the same hallucinogenic netherworld as Turkish Star Wars, The Sword and the Claw stars a Turkish genre legend in his most iconic role. It's Conan the Barbarian meets the Three Stooges meets Dolomite, with more lo-fi bloodshed, pomp art visuals, and bizarro dubbing than the boundaries of reality can handle. First off, before I kind of dig into this, if you have an opportunity to watch Turkish Star Wars, I cannot recommend it highly enough. It, I mean, it's it's genuinely awful, uh, but that good kind of awful where it's everything you've ever wanted in a movie. It's called Turkish Star Wars. It's a hero movie, and they just blatantly stole some scenes from Star Wars. That, and it's not even like tiny clips here and there that you may or may not recognize. There's a clear highway robbery going on and it is uh, amazing because it has the scenes from Star Wars, it has the music from Indiana Jones and the story is essentially Dune and it's both wonderful and horrible all in the same breath. It is never going to get a, a Blu-ray release like I, I, I can hardly imagine it would ever get a Blu-ray release. There's, uh, It's got to be a rights nightmare when you just blatantly rip off one of America's exports, you know, the Star Wars, and, and Disney would never, ever allow this to be released. Also, while we're, ta we're talking about Turkish ripoffs, if you have a chance, I'm, I'm sure there's a DVD still. It's a film called Satan, S-E-Y-T-A-N. It is a almost a shot-for-shot ripoff of The Exorcist. I, I know that I've mentioned... Exorcist ripoffs, and this is an instance where is Kathy's curse, which is pretty bad, uh, sitting next to Satan, looks like the Exorcist. That's how bad Satan really is. Whereas I said in the past, and if you want to watch a lower budget Exorcist, uh, watch Kathy's curse. If you want to watch the lowest possible budget Exorcist, check out Satan, then watch Kathy's curse, and you'll truly appreciate it at that point. Anyways. That's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about this release of The Sword and the Claw. I've seen a few internet memes in which a parent takes some of their children's artwork, which is always some of the most imaginative, imaginative and unique uh, works of art, and sends them off to companies, and the companies actually make a stuffed animal based on the, uh, the drawings. And 
This right here, the sword and the claw, is kind of like that on steroids. This is the movie that, as a young boy, I would have created when I was playing with action figures. This, the, the, the basic premise of the film is something that a 10-year-old's imagination would concoct. And then in this situation, it's like the parents were wealthy enough to hire the Turkish Olympic gymnastics team to make a film out of their child's imagination. It is spectacular on, on so, so very many levels. Man, it's hard to really express just how entertaining this movie is. It's not a good movie. And, and I think that goes without saying for the majority of these releases, there's always something special in them. There's, there's definitely value to be had, but putting it next to other films in the exact genre, you would uh, absolutely fail. Uh, and that's why these are here. These are important uh, releases. There's a few questions that you definitely have going out of uh, a, a viewing of this film, one of which is the first thing I thought of while watching this the first time was was trying to figure out how many zip lines a medieval Turkish castle would have had, whether or not in medieval Turkish times. Let's roll back here for a second. The overarching premise of this film is Suleiman, the king in Turkey, is on a death's bed and he has a child. You would know you would know that this is Suleiman's child because he has a birthmark and you could not have seen me put that in quotations because it's it's a tattoo. It's it's the most precise and recognizable birthmark that anybody could ever have. So the main character who is birthed within the first 5 minutes of the film as you see Suleiman's hands getting cut off is raised by lions he's called the lion man and he is the target of the monarchy because they're trying to find him to stop him from taking his rightful place as the heir to Suleiman's empire he's also being sought out by the resistance as the heir to the empire so that he could come in and displace the current uh, fascist ruler that they have in his stead there's some, some pretty clever photography in which Lion Man is playing with his lion friend. Uh, in, in this specific scene with the clever photography, uh, they're both eating uh, some cow. That Lion Man just jumps over and rips some beef off of the side of the cow and then tosses a hunk of it to his lion friend and then eats a hunk himself. And uh, then he decides to become a... He then decides to protect the forest. And whenever he sees something that he deems wrong, uh, which one could question the moral ambiguity of somebody raised by lions as to discern between right and wrong, I don't know. Uh, I guess that's the nature v. nurture argument right there. Anytime he sees something that he deems to be wrong, he decides to stop it, whether it is for right or for ill as in one instance he saves the son of the current steward we'll call him because he's he's concerned about losing his monarchy the son of the current steward gets rescued by lion man and says that he owes him his life and we later learn that lion man is the actual heir to suleiman it just kind of gets a little wacky there's some classic training montage there are some absolutely over-the-top fighting scenes where Lion Man takes on dozens of uh, uh, would-be bad guys and just dispatches them with ease. Just essentially tears their face off with, with the effects budget 
of a can of red paint. So this movie is something that is to behold. The cover quote that they have on here from Kung Fu Express is dirtiest fighting ever. And that is not even a joke. This, it's it's incredible. Just the, the sheer level of, of nonsense in this movie is incredible. And it's... I recognize that all films, all art in general, is the fit of somebody's imagination. But it is rare to see that imagination play out in such a way that you question for a moment whether or not this is actually an adult crafting content. Or if this is a child convincing his parents to spend money. And that is where you get the sword in the claw. I, I know I had mentioned this uh, before it came out or right around the time that it was being released over on Criterion now and I'm pretty sure I sold a couple copies there and I, I hope beyond hope that I could turn over a couple more of this movie it is absolutely I feel like a broken record it is absolutely something to behold this is the epitome of genre film and I believe this is the epitome of what Agfa wants to put out and make available this is rescued from the movie let me read the special features here uh, it's a 4K scan, a new 4K scan from the only 35mm theatrical print in existence. Uh, there's some face-smashing action trailers from the Agfa Vault, and like so far all of our Agfa releases, there is a bonus movie. It is a 2K scan from the original theatrical print of Brawl Busters from 1991 starring Black Jack Chan. So that's there's your value is you get two movies for the price of one, Man, honestly, if I could say out of these releases so far, you know, Zodiac Effects, Violent Years, and the one I'm not going to talk about, I would get this one first, followed closely behind by effects. This thing, if you have a spouse that's barely into film or or kind of, but not not, not over the edge like, like you are if you're listening to this, I have a feeling that they, they might... This could be the movie that says, I, I love gonzo cinema or I don't, and then you'll know moving on what uh, what you might be able to get them to watch. But that is the sword in the claw. This is something that needs to be on your shelf. I'm just staring at this cover. It is just incredible. And uh, this is a Turkish uh, kung fu movie. Watching this and the few that I other the uh, the other few that I mentioned, I really want to watch more of this kind of like weird. Uh, Turkish film. I know that there are some some higher, much much higher quality Turkish films out there, but which I haven't watched yet, so I would not ever vouch for. Uh, but they look like a modern film quality. But I need more of this in my life, and once you see it, you'll understand what I mean. Okay, so the real question is, what could I possibly pair with this? Uh, based on its storyline, the the hero's journey, it is a, a logical leap to pair this with Lord of the Rings, but they certainly don't need any help selling copies of that, uh, specifically the Aragorn story in Lord of the Rings. Um, it plays out almost the same. Uh, it, one could uh, draw the connections with all of the Marvel movies. They all kind of have the same basic uh, plot structure. But those, again, don't need my help. You don't need me to tell you that those are uh, movies that you may or may not enjoy. What I thought was a, uh, a fine alternate concept of the double feature, take the sword and the claw, make this double feature a childhood date double feature. Whereas the sword and the claw exists as what I see as the basic imagination of a child. It is the film that, like I said, young Jason would have played with his action figures in the backyard. 
I wanted to find a movie that I think a young girl's imagination would have crafted. As I am not a little girl, I am not able to confirm that this is what little girls necessarily imagined for themselves. But what I was taught, this is a, a, a delightful example of the imagination of a young girl. And that is Jacques Demy's Donkey Skin. I first saw Poe Dom when I was 16, and it changed my whole life. Êtes-vous satisfait? À dire vrai, mon père, je ne serais être contente que je n'ai une robe encore plus brillante. In that film, there are three dresses, the color of the moon, the color of the sun, and the color of the weather. And I just thought I would be a princess at my prom. And I bought this vintage wedding dress, and I decorated it. And I showed up to the prom, and I was just the laughing stock, because it was the most hideous. I did the worst job. It's before I knew how to sew. When I did start to make films, I kept in some ways aspiring to films like Podon or, or films like the Hollywood Technicolor musicals that I watched as a kid. I think the formula that Jacques Demy uses, which is combining this beautiful magical fairy tale world with very dark and very realistic psychological material, is something that I use as a template for my own work. I really love the scene in Poe Dawn where they're deeply in love and they're each fantasizing in their dreams, rolling down a hill, running across a field, and having all of this fun. And it's such a pure and sweet representation of true love. I also love the scenes where she waves her magic wand. She's all dirty and filthy, and she's wearing this donkey skin, and then she transforms into this beautiful princess in a golden crown. I love the props and the costumes. You'd have all these anachronisms, like these beautifully researched, perfect 17th century costumes, but with giant fake plastic jewels sewn on it and psychedelic colors. The fairy godmothers in a 30s bias cut dress with a finger wave perm. But it all makes sense within the dream logic of the film. I think that is also what I try to do, is I try to create a certain logic in my films, and then you're allowed to do anything once you create that logic. I've studied those props and costumes over and over and over and over again. And for my film, The Love Witch, I actually almost kind of copied a couple of the costumes, which are the wedding costumes that the prince and princess wear at the end of Podan. And so I created my own wedding sequence, which is similar to the wedding sequence in Podan. But this is where the psychological darkness comes into my film, because it's not a real wedding. And they're not in love. Only one of them is in love. And this is where the heartache comes in. Now ye are wed. I'm not really interested in male fantasy in film. I'm interested in comprehensive stories that include women a little bit more, and especially in female fantasy. When I start to detect misogyny in a movie, it kind of ruins the movie for me. I completely lost interest in male gaze movies a really long time ago, even before I started making films. Being here is like being a princess in a fairy tale. Do you have fairy princess fantasies, Elaine? Of course. We may be grown women, but underneath we're just little girls. Jacques to me, his entire oeuvre was great for women. It was like little girls and gay men's fantasies. And one thing I love about his movies is his bravery in continuing to do this technicolor bright fantasy thing that nobody's doing anymore. 
film had shifted. People stopped doing studio lighting in the winter location, and that was considered truth in cinema. That was really unfortunate, because I think that cinema could have continued to have different kinds of styles that were considered valid. Watching Jacques Denis' films gave me permission to make the kinds of films that I make today. I remember I was very confused in art school and in film school early on because I was trying to do what everybody else was trying to do. And then I suddenly had this epiphany. It clicked into my mind. I want to make films that are about visual pleasure for women, not worry about whether they're in fashion, whether they're politically correct, but do exactly what I want to do. That's why I still shoot on film. That's why I still use big studio lighting, because this is the stuff I love. I just could do it because I love it and hope that other people like it too. In this lovingly crafted, wildly eccentric adaptation of the classic French fairy tale, Jacques Demy cast Catherine Deneuve as the princess who must go into hiding as a scullery maid in order to fend off an unwanted marriage proposal from her own father, the king. A topsy-turvy, riches-to-rags fable with songs by Michael Legrand, Donkey Skin creates a tactile fantasy world that is perched on the border between the earnest and the satiric, and features Delphine Seyrig as a delicious supporting role as a fashionable fairy godmother. And before we get deep into this, uh, the special features on this disc, is, uh, it's a new 2K restoration uh, with a 5.1 DTS master audio track. There's a French television interview from 1970 with uh, the director and uh, several of the actors. Uh, Donkey Skin illustrated a 2008 program of the many versions of the fairy tale, and Donkey Skin and the Thinkers, a 2008 program on the themes of the film. Uh, there's an audio Q&A with Demi from the AFI in 1971, and a new English subtitle translation. If it is not based, uh, if this is not blatantly clear. This is a French movie. It is a French musical, and it only works in a double feature if you are willing as a, if you are a male viewer, if you are willing to then take a look into how a young female's imagination might have created a movie. When I got the um, Jacques Demy set from Criterion, it's packed full of some absolute masterpieces of French musical cinema and this weird movie called Donkey Skin. And the first one I watched out of this a couple years back was Donkey Skin. And I was absolutely floored. It is a gorgeous beyond belief. It is. It's not even in the same. The Sword and the Claw is kind of like a bicycle and Donkey Skin is kind of like a Ferrari in, in terms of quality. It's, it's beautiful. The costumes are out of this world. You know, the design is just fantastic. But there are some intricacies between the two films that also link them beyond the child's imagination there in in donkey skin there's some fantastical imagery as the uh, copy on the back suggests the queen dies in the film uh, very early on and says to her husband the king who has only one daughter and no male heirs that she recognizes that he has to marry again to produce an heir for the kingdom and she says i have absolutely no problem with you getting married again as long as it is to a woman of equal or greater beauty than I am. Catherine Deneuve plays her mother, the queen, and uh, the main character, Donkey Skin. And the queen dies, and the king realizes that the most beautiful woman that he has ever seen is his daughter. So it's a little weird and creepy, and that I imagine, or at least very well hope, is not part of the imagination of a child. Although there's that, that idea in the background that 
every girl wants to marry her father, but in this situation, it's it's a little eerie. She is struggling with the idea of marrying her father, and she keeps tasking him to create more and more beautiful gowns. And this is where this is some of the finest costume design in the film. And uh, you, it's something that you have to behold. I can't describe exactly how uh, gorgeous it's going to be. She has a fairy godmother, and she speaks with her, and fairy godmother's like, you absolutely cannot marry your dad. That's super gross. Find something, find an alternative. Challenge him, say you'll marry him if he can create these these masterpiece dresses. And she tasks him, she's like, I, I, I need a dress that is the weather. And he manages, well, not he, his uh, team of seamstresses managed to craft a dress that is the weather. And it is one of the most beautiful gowns I've seen. And that's wonderful. She's like, oh, okay, well now I need the moon. And so it kind of goes on like this until he keeps fulfilling her every desire when it comes to gowns, and she knows that she can't marry him, and so she has to give him the one thing he could never create, and she says, give me a, a dress that is the skin of your donkey. Now, I understand that's weird, no matter how I spin it here. He calls his donkey the banker, and, and I'll tell you why. This is a moment in cinema that you just don't see. Early in the film, he goes out and they're trying to show you his kingdom. And he walks through the stable and he has these beautiful horses. Absolutely remarkable beasts. And he goes through and then the last stall, which is the, the most lavish compartment for an animal, he has a donkey. And you wonder why would this king celebrate this donkey so much until you find out that the donkey poops gems and gold. It's just... I understand. You're thinking, okay, this is too much. And it is, but it is not as well. Because it kind of says that what the daughter asks for is everything. Is his riches, is his kingdom. And she wants everything from him. And he says, if I do this, you will marry me. And she says, yes. And through the night, she's sleeping in her bed. And her father brings in the pelt and skull, uh, taxidermied skull of the banker, the donkey, and lays it out on her bed for her to see when she wakes up, which I imagine, uh, having watched Godfather many times, would scare the bejesus out of anybody. But it's an instance in which he is fulfilling her every desire by giving up his kingdom for her. And she realizes that no order could be tall enough that he would not facilitate it. And she realizes she has no other option, and she runs away, wearing the donkey skin. Her fairy godmother creates a, a trunk that can carry a, a bag of holding uh, for our role-playing friends. It can carry everything she'll ever need. And as the copy on the back says, she becomes a scullery maid uh, just to be away from her father. And one day, while she's living in a hut, a prince from a uh, rival kingdom comes up, finds her in the woods, and becomes enamored with her. And it starts to resemble uh, Cinderella. So this is a very, very good movie. Not the best in that set, mind you, but a very, very good movie. So it's, it's not the best in that set, but it's still an incredible film, and it's still worthy of a placement on, on what I always understood, what I was taught through Disney and, and other means, is that a young girl's chief desire when they're growing up is to meet and be swept off their feet in a Cinderella-style story by a prince. And this is an embodiment 
a weird one with with gold poop and donkeys embodiment of that story of being swept off your feet and taken in to become royalty even though in this instance she was royalty but then she decides to not be royalty so she doesn't have an incestuous relationship with her father and can then meet her prince charming uh again like i said a lot of these movies that that are stews of what I imagine a young girl's imagination is along with the kind of weird edible ideas that older men throw into these films. So, it, you know, it's not perfect. Uh, but then again, neither is the sword and the claw. So that's the idea of this double feature is the imagination of a young boy and an imagination of a young girl. Hoping that if you take this as like a, a date movie double feature, which you might get dumped, I don't know. Uh, you have this, you know, you have the, the woman in the relationship can can have a, a fairly good idea of what a young boy imagines when they're playing with their toys. And the the gentleman could maybe get a, a glimpse into what the young girl would have been imagining, although they would fixate on the, the ruby pooping donkey. Ah, we all would. Let's, let's be honest about that. I see that these two, I, I spent a, a good amount of time trying to decide what to put with the sword and the claw because it's such a strangely unique experience and i really do hope that you would give these two a try together for some reason it, it works this 1970 french film has a similar cinematic palette of this 1975 turkish film it, it exists on like a same visual level and, and and i'm not talking about effects i'm talking just about film stock and and that unique level of washed out that you can get uh looking at a uh landscape shot they kind of fit seamlessly together the design and effects in donkey skin are heads and tails above the sword and the claw i believe i mentioned effects wise the sword and the claw looks like just somebody bought a bucket of paint uh to represent blood and that's uh there's no violence in uh, donkey skin so you know there's not like a one-to-one -one on that but uh, like the costumes and just the the overall set design is, is on a whole new level in donkey skin versus uh, the sword and the claw so it's a unique experience i hope that you would put these two together and then still come back to me for future episodes and that's sort of my intent here is to first talk about these just fun movies that come out from agfa and then try and relate them to something that you may not have seen for whatever reason. And I can easily see buying the Demi set for all of the other movies and then maybe not even watching Donkey Skin because it, it's weird. But I hope that it, you might give it a second chance just on the surface. And the reason I would put it in order of Sword in the Claw than Donkey Skin is because Sword in the Claw is such a low-budget romp that, you know, you start to think this is just not gonna, this, this date's not gonna end well. But then you see this this beautifully choreographed and, and cinematic wonder that is Donkey Skin. It kind of ties it all together. Because in the same sense that one is the imagination of a boy and one is the imagination of a girl. You can see that level of sophistication that, at least in my head, when I thought of boys and girls as a younger person, the boy was sloppy and just made it work. And the, there is a level of sophistication and wonder in, in the opposite sex at the time. And I, I think that is also mirrored in this double feature pairing. 
I would like to very much thank you for listening. I really do appreciate each and every one of you. And I hope that I wish to invite you. Feel free to talk back with me. I'm at, uh, I'm on Twitter. I don't think I've ever said this. I'm on Twitter at Admiral Beamish. You can email the, the site. Um, there should be links all over the place. But I would love to hear from you. I would love to uh, see how you feel about this uh, pairing. If you watch it with your husband or wife, I would like to find out how, uh, how poorly it, it went over or how well. I recognize it could go well, but this is a very unique pairing. Um, it would be easy to say, watch Sword in the Claw and then Lord of the Rings, but that's not what I want to do. That's not where I want to take our relationship. So, again, thank you very, very much, and I hope that you have a lovely couple of weeks. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.